yeah, telling stories together is something that's deeply human. You know, if you go back, if you saw what humans did 10,000 years ago, they're doing something that wouldn't be all that different from D&D. They're probably sitting around a fire sharing stories, telling stories they actually did, but they might be making up stories if they got in the realm of fantasy. Um, you know, I think that humans are imaginative and, and there's a reason why we keep making stories and telling them. So how great is it to tell that story together and have it have you affect each other's story? Hey everyone, I'm Jenny Russell and this is the Art of Finding Joy podcast. My guest today is Matthew Ford. He is a Dungeons and Dragons player and DMs games for complete beginners. So a dungeon master is someone who controls the game and navigates the story, basically. He can explain much more than I can, but what struck me about our conversation is that even if you're not a gamer, there is so much power in games to bring us together as communities, um, bring people together that would normally never be able to have conversations and actually have genuine social connection, which is something that's so lacking in our current society. I was struck by the power of storytelling and the power of community and how Dungeons and Dragons is such a great facilitator for this. So I know that there is so much here to tap into even if games aren't your thing. And I'm really excited for you to hear it from someone who has lived and breathed Dungeons and Dragons for most of their life. Here is Matthew. Hello, Matt. Welcome. Hello, Jenny. It's very good to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm so excited um, to chat to you and for people to learn more about what you do, because I just think it's so cool. Oh, thanks. So would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, so um, I'm Matthew Ford and I am now a full-time dungeon master for Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I've actually been playing Dungeons and Dragons literally uh, since I was a little kid, you know, that uh, Stranger Things, uh, how those kids are playing D&D and &D Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. That was precisely me. Like, I think I was that exact same age as those kids. And they also are playing, you know, in America, obviously, and maybe even California uh, sort of type setting. So I just recognize the clothes. I recognize the snacks. I recognize the version of D&D they're playing. And just that feel of being a kid with your friends, your geeky friends, uh, as a geeky kid that I was uh, playing D&D &D and having that sort of sense of wonder. Um, so I've been playing D&D both as a dungeon master, you know, running the game uh, and as a player uh, ever since then. And um, I've been around for a while. So yeah, since the 70s. Um, and, uh, and there's many different versions of D&D. It's gotten very popular in the past and then completely fell apart. And it's really having a huge resurgence now. Um, and I've been sticking with it the whole time, but it's been really gratifying to have so much interest because what I do is I teach people Dungeons and Dragons from scratch. Um, I think there's uh, a first rung on, on the ladder problem where people are interested in D&D. They can see on streams and things, they can see people playing it, but if they're gonna sit down and play it themselves, it doesn't matter how much D&D you've watched, you still have this gap as to, well, where do I look on my character sheet to do these things and which die do I roll? Stuff you really can't see on video. And a lot of these sort of beginner things that you have like that are supposedly beginner friendly for D&D, 
I don't find are all that beginner friendly. And I hear from people who have this problem where they still feel a bit lost and not everybody at the table really is a beginner. And there's a sense of impatience or kind of gatekeeping or being people sort of being snide. Um, and I try to be super welcoming, super inclusive and say, you should know absolutely nothing about D&D. So it's kind of a requirement to sit at my table is that you've never played an RPG before. And that's what I do. I genuinely love teaching. I have background as a teacher, um, background making video games, you know, developing experiences for people from scratch. So this is all blended together with my favorite activity. Uh, and it's just really uh, been a gratifying thing teaching people d and I mean, that is exactly the boat I'm in, where I've heard about d and I think it's something I would enjoy, but I've got no idea how to play it or where to start. And I think that it is nerdy, but it has like a really nerdy rep in that it's inaccessible and I don't yeah. actually think it is and I think that a lot of people would enjoy it but it's just got this illusion of difficulty and nerdiness attached to it. I think some of that is, is an illusion and some of it is true. Um, some of it is from the history of D&D. So there's stories about how complicated D&D used to be. And it really was. It was tables and tables. It was, made, it was made by sort of war gamers, you know, which are very much into charts and tables and very long rules. So some of that reputation was, was deserved. It got much more simplified in the last few decades. But it, then the rest of the legacy was still very much, was still very much kind of like a white dudes, geeky dudes playing uh, in a basement somewhere, and they could be exclusionary. Uh, unfortunately, you've seen a lot of this with board games in general, that there could be a lot of gatekeeping and a lot of sort of cultural, you know, sort of vibe that makes people who are outside of those white straight dude category uncomfortable sitting down at the table, especially if they're the only person of that type. Um, so uh, I think that's finally started to crack. So really now, if you look at just the demographics of playing D&D, it really is broken out of that mold. Nearly half of the players of D&D uh, who, who are on streams uh, and uh, who are really becoming popular are female dungeon masters and female players. That's been a huge uh, boon for the game. You have a lot of non-white stuff going on and just kind of unusual kinds of stories, not the very typical you know, fantasy, sort of European-centric fantasy that's been told over and over again, really branching out in some really interesting genres. All these things have added a bunch of people but we still have this problem of inaccessibility and you have a hobby store that says oh come learn D&D &D. and that's great I'm not disparaging this whole process it takes a lot of work to, to have these beginner events but I do hear often very often that people come in and they say like I tried it and I, I just did not have a great experience. I didn't really feel very welcome. Or I felt very confused. So I figure, look, this is my passion teaching and this is where I could really do some good because I think that once you get that first great experience of D&D, &D, then it's all good. You know, you keep hearing from people where they said, oh, I tried D&D, &D, I had a terrible experience and I never went back to it or I went back to it 20 years later. I think, oh, what a loss that is. You know, they could have had a great first experience. So really I want to be that first great experience for the first several games where they get an idea of what D&D &D is about they learn enough about it, they can then show up at those beginner events and at least not feel so far behind. Uh, that's the niche that I'm filling. That's so cool. And yeah, because I think also the more diverse the players get, the better the stories get too. It really is. Like I hear interviews with, uh, you've got, uh, it was finally translated into, uh, into Portuguese. And so you have this gigantic Brazilian uh, set of players who are playing D&D for the first time. And they're working in all of the lore and mythology that they learned growing up. Uh, they're now working, converting that into D&D. So you have these amazing stories that, that have the sort of Mesoamerican uh, uh, influence on all this legendary actions and all the monsters and all the locations. And that's just one example of many where you have culture after culture coming on in to really 
really uh, brand it in different ways. Yeah, different kinds of people, different perspectives, um, you know, where the game has become much less all about combat. And uh, as you can sell in the streams, drama of dialogue and character uh, can really take the front of these games. But I'm still very much into the mechanics of this game. I'm a game designer by trade. I made video games for decades. So there's a way to actually make uh, your character sheet and the die rolls, you know, matter, even if you're having a conversation, because some very exciting twists and turns the dice uh, will, will lead you through just by having a high, a high stakes uh, discussion. Uh, it feels like combat because the stakes are high and there are these twists and there are these, these sort of opposition, uh, opposing forces, but um, it still has that, uh, that, that mechanical underpinnings that, that make it all sort of work out and make you improvise as you go. So I, I love, as a DM, I love it when we have high stakes discussions and not just high stakes combat. I think that's widened out the audience quite a bit as well. And that's the other thing too, is that sometimes with D&D is you have people who they, they mean well, they've played D&D before and they're sitting next to someone who hasn't played it before. And they think they're being helpful by saying, oh, well, okay, you can consider this and look at this over here, look at this rule, you know, makes this a little bit more powerful and this makes this more powerful. And usually if somebody's sitting at the table for the first time, they're not worried about maximizing how much damage their character can do with one sword swing. They're worried about, you know, making sure they're not holding up the play so that they want to make decisions quickly to not do something that makes the whole, you know, group endangered, uh, but also just to, to get that story going in their head. And so sometimes these overly helpful mechanical discussions, you know, are, are, are part of the problem. Um, and that's why I layer these things on. So I, I designed my first D&D games really like a, like a universal curriculum where each of the first you know 10 sessions they have things they deliberately layer on one at a time like okay here's the session where i introduce a particular uh idea um and and layer that in for the first time so that they feel like they have some mastery of, of the simple stuff before they're given yet another rule and another situation to deal with so it's very much like a like a, a, a university course would be designed how cool would it be if one of the classes you could take in like a creative writing course would be playing D&D for the semester. That would be so cool. Yeah, that really would be. And there has been some of that. I actually helped teach one of these classes where I came as a guest lecturer uh, for someone who's doing interaction design. This is computer interaction design, but instead of oh, we're going to do a segment on D&D because we'll teach you something. Um, and yeah, I think there are also some really interesting ways that D&D is being used as part of therapy or being used as part of a creative exercise to, to help write, uh, to, to write a book. Um, so there's some nice ways to blend D&D in with existing courses and activities too. So just taking it back, um, at the beginning you said RPG, and just for people that don't know what that means, that's role-play game, right? That's right, yep, RPG stands for role-playing game, and, and it's a role-playing game in that you're you have a role sort of like a, like an actor has a role, you know, it's like, like a part that you're playing. Um, and so uh, you have a thief and you have a fighter and you have a wizard. Those are the roles. My role is wizard. And as, as the wizard, here are the things that I'm going to tend to do. I'm going to tend to be delicate. I'm going to tend to not be the one up front being attacked by swords. I'm going to try to think our way out of different puzzles or, oh, I'm the fighter. My job is to get up front and to take the damage and to, you know, get the monsters to focus on me. My role in the group is to be hit and to absorb damage. Uh, and so, so that's that's where the role comes from role playing games and so what are like for someone that knows nothing what are the basics you would need yeah yeah so i've really thought a lot about this and i've tried to really optimize the first time play where i'll put out posters that say absolutely no prep no previous experience required just bring yourself 
and uh, you know, just have it have it be something where, and also you're not being drummed into something where you're committing to coming every two weeks, and people will be disappointed if you don't show up. You know, it, it could it could be something that if you can't make every session, I have ways to deal with that. So I really try to say bring nothing at all. So I really encourage DMs or players to to ask of their DMs to not expect them to do a lot of prep. Um, you know, it's good to go in fresh. Uh, so, but if you wanted to be prepared for it uh, as a player, um, usually all you need is just a few dice and you could just spend $10 on a set of five dice that have all the funny shapes. Uh, and that might be all that you need, you know, bring a pencil. The DM will very often have you make a character right there at the table or have characters to hand out. So don't feel like you have to read all the books and make a character before you play. Uh, I think the ideal new player experience, uh, the way I do it is I actually hand out character sheets and they can play this character for only one session before they switch to a different character. I make it very easy to switch characters as well. So they don't feel like they're getting locked into one thing. And the other thing is just to, uh, as the, as the game goes on, to have them not focus on reading the entire character sheet front to back. I actually have simplified character sheets where a lot of it is blanked out. I give them a, something that's almost like training wheels where I white out a bunch of stuff on the character sheet said, you don't need to worry about all these things. Here's the seven different numbers that you really, all the only ones you care about and a few words here and there. Um, so that's a method that I also uh, recommend. I share all this stuff, by the way, anyway. So yeah, we'll give you links and things, but I do have a bunch of material that I, that I send to people that they can use themselves. So they can actually use my script that gets people into D&D for the first time, has those simplified character sheets, has those sessions that are very simplified decisions and very simplified combat rules and all that, uh, because I really believe in this mission of, of getting people, you know, to learn just a little bit at a time. So hopefully, you know, the answer to your question is you shouldn't, as a player, need to know anything about it. I think that we should really expect DMs to be very good at getting people going from absolute uh, beginner status, you know, th then, then uh, you can learn along with the other people around the table because you're giving encouragement. If you're sitting around up with other people that know nothing, you're going to encourage each other. You realize, oh, I'm not the only person who doesn't know anything. So don't freak yourself out ahead of time by trying to read and learn and figure it out. You know, I think you should come in pretty much uh, bare bones. Cool. And so the DM is the dungeon master and they lead, is it called a campaign? Yeah, so a collection of sessions called a campaign. So the uh, a DM is dungeon master. Other other games of this type will sometimes called a GM, uh, which is a game master. So don't be confused; they're the same thing. One way to think of it is um, that the DM is a facilitator. Uh, you know, and uh, my goal for everybody is we all are collectively making a great story. That is the number one goal. The number one goal is not for one character to win or not win or the DM to kill characters or the characters to frustrate the DM. We all collectively want to have a great story that we can tell. And a great story comes from conflict and good things that happen and bad things that happen, uh, confusion, uh, victory, you know, despair, all those things have to go into a great story. So uh, I'm a facilitator of that. I try to keep the story moving. Um, I try to make sure that people are, are, you know, are staying interested and I'll adjust what I do based on how interested people seem to be. Uh, I'll notice things they like and I'll give them more of that next time. This all happens in a game session. So, you know, my, my sessions are three hours long and I try to, I try to actually give them a guaranteed end time because people have jobs and catching trains and stuff. But D&D very typically be like a five hour session. Again, that might be daunting to people. It's like, oh man, do I really have to spend all day? Um, so, you know, this is something that, that players and DMs have a conversation with at the beginning. They'll actually talk about what kind of campaign do we like? Campaign meaning we'll be meeting every two weeks. So a session every two weeks, those collectively are a campaign. Might say, well, look, this campaign could last a year or two. Let's talk up front about 
how often should we meet? How much do we really care about being super on time? Do we want to have sort of like a rolling start where we all kind of chat for a while before we start playing or do we want to start right on time? Is it okay if we run late? And what if they're three hour sessions? What if they're five hour sessions? Talk about that all that front. And as a player, you know, you can tell your DM, like, this is the kind of game I'd like to play. I'd like something that has you know, a little bit less combat than usual or a little more combat than usual. You can, you can, you can talk about all these things. That gives the campaign its feel. Um, a campaign can be thought of as a bit like a TV series where each show, each weekly show is like one session where you all sit around the table for those few hours. And then you have a break and hopefully it's a nice sort of story break. You have a nice sort of chapter turn or a cliffhanger or something. And then the next episode, you know, uh, picks up the next session and all those hang together, maybe a string of, you know, 10 or 12 of them that would make an arc or an epic in that campaign. So that's sort of like a season of a TV show is what you sometimes call, uh, call a main arc or what I call an epic that you go through. A lot of little adventures that all add up to one sort of big climax. But then so okay, well, that big bad is out of the way and there's a whole new big bad and we're all stronger and we're moving to a different part of the world, but we're the same characters. We still have the same backstory. You might have the same ongoing dramas. We might have an arc that's still going on. Like I'm still trying to find my parents or I'm still trying to find you know, this nemesis that, that I've been trying to chase down who, who killed my parents. That might carry over to the next arc, the next epic that you go through. And that's the same campaign. The campaign is the years long. It could be all that with all these sort of different arcs assembles. That's, that's sort of the granularity of session and then an arc or epic and then a campaign hangs it all together. And the, the characters often stay the same. Well, you might change characters. You know, you might say, I'm going to retire this character or this character dies. And I, as a player, bringing a different character. But that character has a reason to be there and already might have some links. And maybe there's some backstory that explains why they're kind of welcome in this group. So it still keeps the story coherent. So the campaign really mostly stays the same characters. A lot of sort of callbacks and history starts building up. I know some campaigns that have gone on for many years. Uh, and it's really uh, fun to hear about communities that do this. They'll, they meet like every week or every two weeks for years and years at a time. It's so much fun. Yeah, this is one of the things that fascinates me about D&D, this idea of community, bringing people that may have absolutely nothing in common except that they like D&D. Um, I'm sure you've had like really wonderful experiences meeting people. I really have. And this is one of the main reasons why, why I do it, actually, is that um, I really think there's a huge need to get people together in real space. Uh, I'm Generation X, right? So we basically invented the popular internet, but we also sort of hate the internet. We hate the way the internet has, has, has substituted for social interaction. To me, the internet is a tool to figure out how to get together in real life by still like being actually with people. Uh, and I think that there's a lot in our mammal brains and our chemistry that really needs to physically be with people. And also it's a high bandwidth environment. Even if you're very much a technologist, reality is a much higher bandwidth environment than a screen. So you getting together in person is a much richer experience with body language and tone of voice and who's looking at who at different times gives you all this data that you can't get on even the best screen setup. So let's get together in real life. And I think there's really fewer and fewer things that bring people together in real life. But I think a lot of our cultural institutions that used to bring people together have disappeared. It used to be church, the union hall, the sports clubs, and you know, workplace still brings people together with a workplace. But sometimes you don't want to hang out with people you work with. So that's not really a great way to find new friends is your workplace because of all the competition. And then I'll, as those other things vanish, what do you have left? You have like, you know, going to bars and clubs, which is great. I love those. I'll do that myself. But it, it's not, it's, you don't want to do that every single you know, night. It's going to burn you out. How can you get together with new people and do interesting things? It's not just the usual kind of drinking and chit chat. Um, and RPGs are a fantastic way to do that. Tabletop gaming 
training in general is a great way to do that. And so I really have gotten into this, especially as COVID kicked in, but I did this way before COVID started. I just loved what happened when people would make new friends. I've had people get together as couples, you know, that oh, I've had one uh, set recently, they met at my table and they're married now. Wow. I have like two or three different couples that met and have been long-term couples ever since. And it's just so great to see that happen. I've seen just new friendships come up where they'll play at my table for a while, but my thing, I kind of graduate people, you know, I'm only for absolute beginners and I need to make room for another set of absolute beginners. So after within a, a year or two, there are these break points where I really kind of shove people out of the nest to make room in the nest for the next set. Um, but I see that they're off playing games with each other. So I'll set up these social events where like, okay, you should have a couple D&D &D games going, you know? Uh, it shouldn't be just with me. You should actually be playing with other people. So let's have that. And so I try to facilitate that. And it's so great to see people like, oh, they're starting to play with each other. And some of them are starting to be a DM. You know, they used to be a player and now they're DMing. And that's the lifeblood, you know, getting new people to start DMing as is really uh, the way that we make sure that we propagate it. So it's, it's really a source of great pride uh, to build that community very much as you said, and get people, you know, I have different people in different years that have played my game at different times and to get them to talk to each other and compare their experiences. They've each kind of gone through the same curriculum from different directions. It's great to have them share stories and lore and bond over that. Um, so that, that's another way I build the community. So it's uh, it's really exciting to do it that way. I can't believe you, you um had a couple become get married you're like now <laughs> the <like> matchmaker <laughs> it is it is and their uh their engagement party and their wedding was what had a lot of D, D references and themes like their uh their cakes and uh some of the stickers they had for the bridesmaids and some of the references they made in the vows even uh or at least in the sort of engagement vows uh was a lot of D, &D reference you know they're uh, not to be, not to, to, because the credit deserves to them, not me, but I've had people come up to me and say like, playing D&D at your table changed my life. You know, either I met people that are great friends or, you know, I've had somebody say, look, before this, I spent all my time just basically playing video games at home. Yeah, they're online video games, but I didn't have friends really. I spent all of my time staring at a screen and now I'm going out two or three times a week. I've got all these different places I go, these different people I've met. And it's like D&D has changed my life. So thank you. Uh, and you just see people do that. You see people from very different walks of life meet each other. You know, I've had people meet at my table that I don't know how they would have had a conversation normally. I have one person who is relatively kind of low education and sort of economic level uh, with a couple of disabilities, but a really charming, interesting person talking to someone who's a lawyer, like a corporate lawyer, uh, you know, who's, who's come in, you know, looking for the, that, that same kind of community. And these two people, you know, they get this deep conversation with what they have in common. And, and like the guys, guys giving legal advice on, on how to progress through the disability system for the other one. The other one is saying like, here's why your clients who have this particular disability might have this particular challenge. And so here's how to deal with people with these disabilities. And they're, they're giving information to each other and they're, they're just enjoying each other's company. This has been really great to see that kind of thing happen. And D&D uh, &D is just a great facilitator. I really resonated with what you said about it being hard to find in-person places to meet because now everything we do revolves around eating or drinking, right? And if you don't wanna do that, like, where do you go? And once you finish university, how do you meet people? Because you're right, like, I have some really great work friends, but that's not always the case. And sometimes you just want work friends to be work friends and that's it. So where do you go? And I think it does get harder the older you get as well. So just, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, very much so. I, I think uh, my, my specialty or the thing that I've, I've really tried to do my best to, to get people to walk through are young adults. I think that a lot of people are like, oh, you must want to really teach D&D to kids. And to be honest, like, I, I don't really want to teach D&D to kids. First of all, the kind of themes that I do are my games are much more like Game of Thrones, you know. Uh, so so I want to have some mature themes that are fun to play with that I'm not sure kids would, uh, their, their parents wouldn't appreciate some of the stuff that I put them through. Yeah, but I also I think attended the Red Wedding, did they? <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, uh, you know, of course, everybody is struggling and everybody is, is great to, to help anybody of any type. But I see a lot of help going towards kids to socialize and give them activities. I don't see the same thing happen. I think young adults kind of drop off of a cliff. Like, it's, like you said, they go out of university and all of a sudden it's like, well, you don't need help anymore. You're on your own. And apart from you know, kind of like the, the party, you know, uh, meetups, uh, there aren't a lot of great ways to, to maintain those friendships they already have, you know, those precious friendships that you made maybe in university. How do you keep doing interesting things together? You're not going to do it by just meeting up to get drunk every week. You know, you're not going to enrich your friendship the same way as you're doing interesting things together. Uh, so it can maintain friendships or just to make new friends, you know, it gets, it gets hard to make friends once you get out of university uh, for all the reasons we've said. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, this is something that, that I think we need a lot more of. And that's why I'm so happy to, to keep spreading the word. So I can hear in your voice how passionate you are about Dungeons and Dragons and how much joy it brings you. Um, yeah. But I would love for you to talk about how you kind of brought that purpose into your life and how it's added value to you. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good question. So it's always been, a, playing has always been a part of my life. I've always liked the act of creativity. So a lot of the stuff I did was theater. So I was a theater major for a while. And in high school, I got into acting. But, you know, it's very difficult to have a career that way. So it really helped uh, scratch my sort of acting bug. You know, when as a DM, you know, I'll, I'll act in character as these other characters that they encounter. So I can use voice and personality and, and uh, rhythm and all those different things to sort of get out some of my acting uh, feeling. And as a creator, um, writing as a DM is a really interesting creative process. It's not like writing a novel. It's not like writing a song. It's very different because you don't know what the players are going to do. So it's a bit like improv, improv comedy, but it's more structured than that. Uh, there's also these rules and mechanics that, that put these twists in where, you know, the dice are one of the big randomizers as opposed to, you know, like audience suggestions like you would have an improv comedy. So when I'm thinking about what I want to write next time, uh, a lot of my enthusiasm and passion just comes from how fun it is to reflect back on how the last game went and think about what to put into the next game to kind of keep things rolling sort of anticipate what they might do, but really know that they're going to do whatever list I come up with possible possibilities are going to do something not on that list. So just kind of preparing myself with what are the themes, what are the, the beats that I want to hit, what are, what are the things I want to call back to, or the kind of conflicts I want to keep reminding them of, what are some mysteries that I know they're interested in, and I want to sort of uncover little bits of that mystery one at a time, and then just kind of let it rip and see what happens. So what I get out of it is a great creative outlet. Um, you know, I really have that writer feel where I really, you know, have a few good hours of work in me every every day. And if I don't do it, I just kind of feel kind of itchy and uncomfortable. I really need to kind of write to keep that going. That's very common for what writers uh, say. I also have that sense of having these characters live in my head, uh, the characters that I play in particular. And I think like them, and I sometimes find them sort of saying things that I don't expect them to say or wanting things I didn't expect them to want. So I have that idea that writers often get. It's like, I'm not sure I'm in really in control of my characters. My characters have a bit of a life of their own. I'm just trying to keep up with them. So that's a great creative, just kind of mental exercise. 
Um, and just then also my mechanical side, like because I'm a game designer, I like coming up with interesting sort of conflicts or interesting combat situations or social situations that have, you know, different dynamics they play out. And so I like just kind of tinkering with, with the way the dice and the rules and decisions all work. So that's really satisfying. Um, and also just making friends, you know, uh, I moved to Australia, I'm, I'm talking to you from Brisbane, Australia, uh, I'm from California originally, and uh, when I moved over here, I was in my 30s, 40s, I guess, early 40s, so uh, late 30s, so it's kind of hard to make friends, you know, at that age, um, so I really have made some good friends, really the main driver being Dungeons and Dragons, you know, that, that I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get to know more and more people, and then we'll start hanging out and just playing board games and then just you know just watching movies together and just doing all the stuff that friends do. So uh, that's been really good to make new friends. And of course, they're usually a lot younger than me. So it's just a great way to kind of, you know, stay really kind of vital, interested in everything's happening. They're all starting to have babies now, which is just incredible. So I've got that grandparent thing going on. It's like, oh, you know, everybody's bringing in their babies and I feel a bit like grandpa. Um, and uh, to have that thrill is really fun as well. So I'm getting a lot out of it that way. There have been campaigns where I've heard they've gone on for like 25 years of maybe 20 different players or 30 different players that all show up at different times. And this one DM is just like, yeah, and this is the kind of DM that I'm turning into. It's like, yeah, everybody can show up in all these different combinations. Let's figure out where you all left off. Okay, where does the story continue from there? Um, so yeah, I've, I've started doing this myself and, and they just keeps on going. 25 years. Is that crazy? Yeah, that yeah, like the same crazy. groups of people. Yeah, I know, it's just, just amazing. Have you noticed the game changing when D&D &D gets referenced in kind of big pop culture things like Stranger Things? Does yeah. the, the community change or the game evolve? Like, does it have any impact? Yeah, it does. Yeah, uh, Wizards of the Coast, uh, they're something called WotC for short or Wizards. They're the company that, that makes D&D now. And they, they're, of course, very delighted by how popular D&D is and the fact that it got mentioned by, you know, on Stranger Things or the fact that it's referred to by a show like Community or referred to in Rick and Morty or Futurama. Uh, you have these cultural references that really you know, excited them. Uh, and then they would start feeding that back. So there is a version of D&D, a scenario that is Rick and Morty meets D&D. And it's like, what would D&D be like if Rick were the dungeon master and Rick being the, the evil genius that he is, he, he's able to create like his own reality that he's going to have other people play in. What would it be like to have Rick as a dungeon master? It's like the core conceit of this. And it's just supposed to be a really fun module where you've got things. Some people say, oh, I love Rick and Morty. I'll try D&D or I love D&D &D and I've heard of Rick and Morty. I'll give that a go. So there's a few different mashups that happen uh, that where the cultural references are very strong. Um, also, D&D can pick up things that are not strictly kind of Tolkien style, Lord of the Rings style with elves and dwarves and stuff. You can have it where it's like cyberpunk, you know, where it's rather Victorian. And yes, you have magic, but you also have machines and you have sort of a Victorian sort of mercantile society and big cities and steam trains and things, but you're still, you know, fighting swords and there's still goblins and there's still dragons. Uh, but maybe the dragons are being used by nation states sort of like warships and there's they're, they're, they're harnessing the dragons to go to war with each other. So it's like England versus France, you know, sort of in the Napoleonic age, it's all D&D, &D, 
but it's all like it's like big sailing ships, but the dragons are the ships. You know, how do you tell that story? So you can blend that in, or you can say like, oh, well, let's have a real vampire theme. So let's really tie in a lot of the stuff that happens, you know, in your sort of gothic horror or your gothic fantasy, and let's have that sort of suffuse D and D. So you see that get picked up as well. Um, and then Stranger Things, you know, comes around full circle where there is a kit they can buy for D and D, which is the Stranger Things version of D and D, and it's the same campaign that the kids were playing. So all the things that they were referring to in those little scenes in uh, in Stranger Things, those monsters and those situations, you can actually play a and d game that puts you in some of the same situations. Um, so there's all these reflections. And uh, then there's just famous people who are playing. You know, you have a lot of really well-known uh, uh, Hollywood actors, uh, directors, uh, that are openly playing D&D, &D. they're streaming it, uh, and they're using it to develop their characters, and they're using it in the writer's room. Um, so that's something that's also kind of feeding back into culture. A Rick and Morty D&D &D would be absolutely bonkers. It would be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, some of the fun of D&D, &D, this fits with Rick and Morty really well. Uh, there's different styles of sort of player and different styles of play that are all kind of part of the fun of D&D, &D. and one is, is transgressiveness. Like, okay, I'm going to play a character where in real life I'm polite, I follow the rules, I'm you know I I I I'm not violent. So I'm going to play a character that's the opposite of all that. I'm going to play a character who's duplicitous and violent, and it has very poor impulse control and is very unwise in their decisions, because it's cathartic. You know, like that that uh, that catharsis is one of those classic sort of tenets of of drama. The reason that we like watching drama is that it's kind of gets something out of our system by watching people do this. So you could be an anti-hero. It could be a bit like Pulp Fiction, like a character that you admire because they're so cool but they're really bad people but they're doing really cool things and there's something transgressive and fun about that you can be that kind of character you know you can it's like you can be the characters in pulp fiction where you are the hitman or you are the drug dealer or you are the boxer who's who's defrauding you know the uh his manager um and play that out and actually be inside that character so rick and morty of course really lends itself to that as well um that you can go ahead and go into that game knowing that you could do this crazy ass stuff and get away with it or at least the consequences are nobody's gonna be mad at you if you do something really impulsive because you're in a rick and morty episode of course you're gonna do crazy things um and that that's that's part of the fun as well yeah yeah it's really great to see that stuff uh, develop yeah and also i think i mean going back to how things have changed with the internet escapism i think is something we all need but we often do it just watching a tv show alone or you know like reading a book alone and there's not really that togetherness of escapism anymore you know mm. it's always in silo and that's why I think D&D &D, especially I think sometimes it lends itself to doing it with people you don't know because sure. then you can completely just go crazy or it's almost like things you want to do like I don't know like you at work you had a disagreement and you really just wanted to be that like no impulse scream and shout and like level out <laughs> but you're like no I'm a professional and I won't do that <laughs> right. but then you can go to DMD that night and just like let the rage rip and I just that's right Yep. Yep. I've seen exactly that thing where uh, when I was running a software company, I had to really think a lot and be very measured. Uh, so when I played a character, I wanted to play a barbarian, which is the type that just, you know, 
just rush into things, don't think about it, just kick down the door and just you know swing an ax. It just felt like such a great liberation. But there's some people who are the opposite. They might be in a really boring job that doesn't really require very much intellect or very much hard decisions. So they might play a wizard in D&D where they've got all kinds of interesting spells and considerations and clever tactics they can get into because in this world, you know, their, their leadership or their innovativeness is really valued. And again, they can kind of exercise that part of it as well. Yeah, telling stories together is something that's deeply human. You know, if you go back, if you saw what humans did 10,000 years ago, they're doing something that wouldn't be all that different from D&D. They're probably sitting around a fire sharing stories, telling stories they actually did, but they might be making up stories if they got in the realm of fantasy. Um, you know, I think that humans are imaginative and, and there's a reason why we keep making stories and telling them. So how great is it to tell that story together and have it have you affect each other's story and have that kind of immersion where you really feel like you are this other character. And even when the game's not happening, you can think a bit about, okay, what am I going to do next time? Or I'm going to reflect on the decisions that I've made before. Um, that's something that can occupy you. So not just the few hours that you're playing every week or two, but in between you can work on your character or do chats with people or when you meet for coffee. Coffee, you know, you might make friends and you can talk about the last game. So it really can spill outside of the game itself. Um, and that kind of collaboration is something that's really rare. Uh, I'm very much into also just what can we do as humans that exercise our sense of ambition and creativity and exploration without it being material. I think humans should not to get in my soapbox too much, but I think humans need to dematerialize in order to not destroy the planet. We need to figure out how to harness all of our human tendencies into realms that are not about getting physical things and digging holes in things and building things and burning things and traveling all over the place physically. How can we entertain each other with things like what's happening in video games or tabletop games or storytelling where we have a whole bunch of fun spending an entire evening where we're not needing to physically build and tear down things. We are doing it all in our minds, but it still feels very entertaining. How can we channel human ambition into like, what I really want to do is get a level 20, you know, wizard. Not like what I really want to do is build, build a mansion, you know, on this particular beach and then take my jet ski out all day. You know, uh, how, how do I have different ambitions as a human? Um, I think that's also something that, uh, that motivates me, kind of keep, keeps me going. Uh, the, the, one of the things I want to do to make the world a better place is getting people to play D&D for social connection but also to get people to dematerialize somewhat more and question like do you really need uh to distract yourself with all that stuff sometimes all you need is each other and a good story yeah i think humans are innately creative and most people have lost touch with that i know i did for a very long time and it's not until you start to bring that back into your life that you go oh, wow, I missed that. That's really important. Yeah. We need that. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a, it reminds you of being a kid. Sometimes you know, when you were a kid, you were playing, playing pretend all the time. And having raised a child, there's a kind of a sadness where you see their imagination kind of fall away. Like you remember when they could spend hours just talking to themselves, little figures or blocks or, or cars or, or drawing, and there's lost in this world of imagination and they're so pleased by it. And then you just get into that sort of early adolescence and it just kind of falls away and it doesn't really come back. Um, unless you're lucky enough to be in the arts, you know, or you get to, to be an actor or be a writer or be a musician, you get to play again. And D&D is a great way to sort of extend that to everyone. You don't have to be a professional, you know, creator in order to have a creative thing that's, that you're doing that gets you in that mode of make-believe and play again. And it does come right back, you know, it, with, with the right sort of encouragement. This is what this first rung of the ladder is really about is 
part of inclusiveness to make sure that nobody feels laughed at or denigrated for making strange choices if they're experimenting with something in their character that's, that's quite different, or they're playing a character that's just phenologically very different from them. You know, they're changing gender, they're changing race, they're changing age, they're changing accent, they're doing whatever else. To really encourage that, not disparage people, make people feel safe, you know, to, 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 to come out as whatever kind of expression they have is a really great way to encourage people to pretend to be something else, to pretend to be somewhere else. And you can see it catch on. If you do it properly and, and you know, try to make sure you don't kind of break the soap bubble as it's inflating, you can really get some wonderful results. You've really hit the nail on the head there with, I think a big barrier to creativity is feeling silly. Because when my kids, we don't care who's looking, we're just in our own little world and it's completely immersive. And as we get older, it's like, oh, but I won't say that because, you know, it, someone might think that I'm silly or stupid or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and D &D they'll be laughed at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think even if D&D is not your thing, having a safe space to be able to kind of bring that creativity out a little bit more, just creep out, dip your toe in the water and see that it feels good and then sure. have the, the confidence to do it more. Sure, but, sure. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I, that's uh, this actually reminds me of you know what's the kind of social license to get around Halloween or at a masquerade party or you know carnival like Mardi Gras. You know, still is a is a holdover, but carnival used to be a really important social event where it was the day which you were expected to break the rules and everybody's hierarchy is tossed around and everybody's uh, either in disguise or they're just accepted to be to, to where the rules don't apply. And this is something that's really essential for people is to give them that outlet to break out of, of whatever kind of little straitjacket they're in. And it could be that one of the things, the reason that imagination or that play falls off when someone turns into like an early adolescent, a tween, is that is also the age where you become quite socially self-aware and you and the approval of your peers matters a lot. It's very easy to cut each other down. Conformity tends to go up. You know, you tend to not want to stick out and be laughed at or excluded. And so maybe that's the reason why people stop sort of playing is that oh, I don't want people to think that I'm weird. So I'm just going to do what everybody else is doing. Let's all find this, the common denominator where we all can get along. And that's fine. That's an important part of human development as well, but it can squeeze out that craziness and that silliness and a good D&D &D group, uh, just like any other sort of, you know, activity like a, uh, like, you know, a, an acting troupe or an improv group would sort of tease out of you like, no, it's okay to be silly. It's okay to do crazy things. And if your character does something really strange or transgressive or funny or shocking, even if people sort of laugh or people are shocked, they're shocked at your character, not at you. You have that, you have that distance. It's like, oh, I like, like, what did your character just do? You can have some just like, look, this, I, I just did what my character would do. You know, that's just the first thing that popped into my head. And I'm living, I'm letting my character make that decision. Um, so it's a great sort of sense of distance that can give a lot of license to do, uh, to do things that, uh, that in, in real life, we might be inhibited from doing. Yeah, it wasn't me. Don't look at me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Look, that's, and I, everybody, especially if, if you're playing for a long time, it gives you even more license because everybody's like, yeah, that's exactly what your character would do. So it, it's where they almost anticipate it. They're almost disappointed if you don't react in that way. You know, they, they really want you to, to transgress outside those lines in character because they're kind of counting on like, you're the one that's supposed to, you know, flip the table and start a fight at this particular time. You know, like you're the one that's supposed to have the poor impulse. We're counting on you to stop this boring conversation with this person who likes to flip the table and start a fight. You know, that, that, that's, uh, it becomes part of your role. Again, like this is your role in the group is to be the instigator. So I know that you set up your own business called Rolling Rogues. And maybe you could tell us a bit more about what it is and what you're doing. What's the, yeah. what's the mission now? 
Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the main center is on Patreon, which is a site where people can give a little bits of money to creators. There's a lot of free material on there. Uh, like all the games that I play are on there. So you can see those for free. But you know, if, if people donate a dollar a month or $5 a month, they'll unlock different videos where it's mostly just me sharing my craft and talking more about it, you know, all that chat around the episodes. So the episodes are free, but my commentary in the episodes or my behind the scenes peak are, are that way. But it's, it's a nonprofit, it's negative profit, as I say, I'm determined to never make a profit on it. And, uh, and I'm just putting my own personal money into it uh, as my costs exceed my donations, which they do. Um, I'm just putting my own money into it very very pleasurably. It's been a lot of fun, uh, but the donations help keep us going. Um, and the main mission is to spread the joy, spark the joy of Dungeons and Dragons and everyone. Uh, rolling rogues in general is really that whole thing for tabletop games in generally uh, it, you know, across the board. So I'll do some things that are all about tabletop gaming and D&D is a subset of that, but I'm spending all my time on D&D because it's just a great way to kind of get this thing rolling. So uh, yeah, so Rolling Rogues has got all volunteers. So we do have people who will also do DMing and organizing things. I try to provide tables for them or I'll pay the table fees or I'll give them free materials or at least I'll run the events. Uh, I'll make the structure of the events so everybody knows where to show up or I'll give them permission to make events on my meetup group. Um, so if you're worldwide, the best thing to do is to go to the Patreon page, Rolling Rogues, and that link will be shared. Uh, if you're in Brisbane, uh, there's a meetup group, meetup.com, uh, where you can look for Dungeons and Dragons for Absolute Beginners. It's pretty easy to find. And once a year, I bring everyone uh, who has no idea what an RPG even is into one room. I'll teach 50 of them at a time and invite all of them to show up two weeks later, you know, to actually start playing D&D and that group, of course, boils down, but might have two sets of 10 players, you know, they're all, I'm now DMing, I'm playing with them. And then after a few days, a few sessions, a few, uh, quite a few people, you know, about half of them will, will sort of say, okay, I got the idea and they'll move on, you know, they're, then they're ready to play with anybody, but some of those keep on going year, uh, you know, for the whole year, the whole next year, uh, and uh, people really get to know each other. So it's like a big funnel that I take people in. So that's Rolling Rogues and the Dungeons and Dragons part is called Courage and Chaos is the is the campaign sort of world name that I have. So anything for Courage and Chaos, you know, it's D&D for absolute beginners. Uh, and you can really follow along. You can learn a bit about D&D yourself by watching the videos. Uh, I do try to share the material so you can download my character sheets or the same character sheets the players are using. Um, and hopefully you'll learn something by the videos. But even better, I hope it inspires you to either come to, to my thing in Brisbane or to take my materials and do it yourself. You know, you, if you know something about D&D already and you want to teach people, if you use my materials, uh, it should make it really easy to bring absolute beginners in. So your family and your friends who have no idea what the heck you're so excited about uh, can come on in and uh, you can get them started without feeling like you're going to completely fail. Um, you know, that, that fear of like, oh, I love this so much. What if everybody hates it? Well, if I can do some things to kind of give you some reassurance, look, this is a script and a system that I've used for hundreds of people and a lot of them have really gotten a lot out of it. Your chances are good that it'll go okay. So uh, you can check that out on Patreon. You can learn how to get those materials and look through my videos. Um, I'm also on just Twitter. My only thing on Twitter is I basically link to those things. So if your Twitter's more your thing, I'll give you that link. Uh, Matthew M. Ford is my username uh, and I'll tweet about D&D, all my D&D and Courage and Chaos stuff there. So that's another way to get a hold of uh, what I'm doing. Amazing. Yeah. I'll put the links in the show notes so people can easily find you and good. Yeah. I hope you do. Yeah, I will. And I just wanted to say thank you for um, working to make something feel much more accessible because I think a lot of people could get benefit out of this, but just didn't know how. So 
I think no, it's really great you. what you're doing. And I wanted to say thank you for your time today. Thank you for chatting with me. And yeah, um, thank you very much. Yes, yeah, I wish you, talking to you all the best with Rolling Rogues. I think it sounds yeah. Amazing. Oh, thanks, Jenny. No, it's been really great. I, I love talking about this and I love sort of sharing that passion. And uh, every outlet that I can get is great. So, yeah, people should come on by and, uh, and see how much fun we're having. All right. Well, thank you, Matthew. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Jenny. Good talking to you. It's amazing to see that not only do games give us a reprieve from much of our own lives that we want to escape from, but that they are also a reflection of how times are changing. And I think it's amazing to see something like Dungeons and Dragons being diversified across the world and across different cultures. It is really just another extension of how powerful our communities can be and how how far they can reach. It's really great to see someone so passionate and so absorbed into the things that make them happy. I think there's a lot of power in returning to our childlike innocence and imagination. So I encourage you all to embrace that a little bit this week. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review and share this episode with someone who needs to hear it. And I wish you a wonderful week ahead.